Ephesians 5, 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I'll ask you to pray with me. Father, Father, help us that we might truly, faithfully understand your word. Our teaching today is one of some significance because I genuinely believe the issue we discuss today really, really matters. And I believe that there's a great deal of confusion in the church regarding this. So I pray, Father, you will open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts to truly understand what it means to know and to do the will of God. God, we want to do your will, and I pray that we will find how to do that today. And that, Lord, is our prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You can be seated. What is the will of the Lord? What is God's will for me? What happens if I fail to do the will of God? Can I miss out on God's will? Have you all ever wondered about the will of the Lord in your life? What do you think? Yes, no? What's that mean? Good. You ever felt like other Christians around you seem to get all sorts of insight into the will of God, but you are left to fend for yourself. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like God has impressed on other people's heart this thing or that thing? People say, oh, God led me to go here or there. And it can all feel confusing. And it can all feel stressful. I think there are a few questions that you will hear Christians ask that are so troubling as questions about the will of God. What do we know? We know God has a will. We know God wants us to know his will. We know God wants us to do his will. But I think you'd be surprised how many people are confused about the issue of the will of God. I think, I think, for the most part, most Christians in most churches are confused when the will of God is discussed, if they're being honest. But as our text says, we don't want to be foolish. We do want to know the will of the Lord. And my plan for us today is to take a little bit of time in the word of God to learn how that you and I might know and do the will of God now, for some of you people, this is going to be familiar material. We addressed it in Sunday school not long before the turn of the year, actually. So hopefully for you guys, it'll feel like a review. But for other people who hear this, or maybe for you who heard it then too, this may feel very new, and I pray it will feel very helpful and encouraging. Because what I want you to know is if you'll stick with me this afternoon, you will know, you will learn some things about the will of God that I believe will free you as a follower of Jesus. I believe they will make you feel less stress, more free. That sounds good, doesn't it? How many of you are pro less stress, more free? All right. Well, let's, let's go that way then. Now, today's message is going to take a little bit of a different route than some of our messages here do because we're going to be a bit more focused on teaching than preaching. Uh, we're going to be focused on the topic of the will of God rather than focused on maybe walking verse by verse through one single passage as we normally do. And as we spend our time in the Word today, we're going to strive to answer four questions that I believe will be helpful to all of us. One question we'll answer is, what does the Bible say about the will of God? And then, what part of the will of God am I supposed to know? And how do I learn that will? And are there other ways to learn God's will? That's where we're going. That may not tell you anything just yet, but we'll get there, okay? Our question one, if you're a note taker, this is your first point or your first question. What does the Bible say about the will of God? 
in order to begin a look at the topic, we're going to quickly see a few and only a few verses of Scripture that talk to us about the issue of the will of God. And our text for today, the verse that took us on this little tangent from the series in the book of Ephesians, is a good place to start, right? Verse 17 of chapter 5 says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And there we see that the will of the Lord is a thing that you are to understand. It is a command. You and I are to obey the command of God to understand what is the will of the Lord. And to not understand the will of the Lord, the Bible tells us in this verse, is foolish. Now, if you remember from last week, we discussed at some length the difference in living wisely and living like a fool. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool behaves as though God is not there or that God is irrelevant. And this verse would tell you and me that if we don't know the will of God, if we don't understand the will of God, we are being foolish, living as if God were not there. Now, obviously, I think we can draw from that. This is an important issue, yes? What do other verses of Scripture tell us about the will of the Lord? We'll do this kind of quickly. I'll give you references. If you want to write them down, that's probably better than trying to look them up, okay? But whatever you want to do, if you're fast, have at it. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So doing God's will is a sign of being in the favor of God. And not doing the will of God is a sign of being lost. Thus not to know and do the will of God is a deadly thing. John chapter 4 verse 34 Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you remember in Ephesians 5 at the beginning where the verse said, imitate God or imitate Christ? We should imitate Jesus here and to love doing the will of the Lord. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul tells you and me, we're supposed to have new minds so that we can know the will of the Lord. Now, by the way, that's good news in that command because it tells us that for the believer, knowing the will of God is a thing that is possible. Aren't you glad to know it's possible to know the will of God? That's good news. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 reads, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So that verse which is about to begin a discussion of righteous behaviors, tells us that the will of God in the life of the Christian involves your sanctification and your purity. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Gratitude is the will of God for your life, Christian. 1 Peter 2.15 For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So God's will is that you live in such a righteous way, a sanctified way, that will result in you silencing those who would criticize you. God's will is that our lives not give the world any valid biblical complaint against us. 1 Peter 4.19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So in some cases, it's the will of God that we, his followers, suffer for his glory. 1 John 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So we are to pray in accord with the will of God, and we note that prayers prayed in accord with the will of God 
are heard by God. The will of God leads to answered prayer. So, bundle that up in a ball, why don't you? We can take from those verses that the will of God is vital for the Christian to know and do. We see that doing the will of God is a sign of being saved. It doesn't save you, but it shows people that you belong to God. Doing the will of God has to do with your growth, though it does not promise you an easy life in a hard world. Now, we see the importance of the will of God. We see that it's important that we know it. We see that it's important that we do it. There's something else from Scripture that we must understand about this topic. And if you miss, if we miss what I'm going to try to teach us now, we will find ourselves constantly fretting and constantly feeling behind the curve when it comes to knowing and doing the will of God. This is important, folks. Knowing the will of God is vital. But now I want to tell you that there is more than one thing that the Bible talks about or that we talk about when we talk about the will of God. And I will argue that there is only one part of or kind of the will of God that God tells you you're supposed to know. So question two, this will get us going here. What part of God's will are you supposed to know? What part of God's will are you supposed to know? There are two things in focus when we speak of the will of God. Now, for our purposes today, and if you're writing notes, you're going to want to write these words down. We're going to talk about God's secret will, and we're going to talk about God's revealed will. Secret will, revealed will. Both of those are rightly called God's will. Both of those are referred to in Scripture by the phrase God's will. But let's talk about them. This will be important. Let's talk first about God's secret will. I don't know why it's on this side of the pulpit, but it is. If you don't know, it's a secret. That's why, it's, that's why I can't tell you. Sometimes scholars refer to the secret will of God as God's sovereign will or his will of decree. Either any of those words are fine for the will I'm talking about here. So when you think about this will, think about the things God wills in such a way that he sovereignly causes them to take place. Think about creation with me for a second. It was God's will that the universe come into being. And God expressed that will by decreeing, let there be. And things came into being. Think about this for a moment. When God said, let there be light, did light make a choice? What do you think? Did light say, hmm, I wonder if I should be or not. What's God's will for me? It didn't, did it? What did light do? When God said, let there be light, what did light do? It just happened, right? It bead. He said, let there be, it happened. God expressed his will with the command, let there be light, and light came into being. And there was absolutely no way conceivable that light could have failed to come into being when God expressed his sovereign secret will of decree. The sovereign, all-powerful Lord over all that exists <clears throat> declared declared that a thing must be, and it came into being. Excuse me. Now, on the other hand, different from God's secret will, we'll put it on this side, is God's revealed will. It's also called God's moral will, it's also called God's will of command. And we're going to call this will of God the things that God declares that he desires, but things which God will not force to take place. The things God declares he desires, but which he will not force to take place. 
Because, guys, there are things that God will say are his will, but for his own perfect reasons, he allows them not to happen. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, I read to you earlier, said God's will involves your sanctification, including that people avoid participating in sexual immorality. But God does not prevent all people from committing that sin, does he? No. The will of God in that sense, when understood in that way, is not always done. So keep the two ideas firmly in your mind here, okay? Secret will, what God sovereignly causes to happen, it cannot be thwarted. Revealed will, what God says is his desire, but which he does not force to occur. Now, let me ask you this. How many of y'all are visual learners? A couple of you are, right? Okay. How many of you are artistic with your notes? Anybody? If you want to do this, one other way to understand this is to draw a set of concentric circles, meaning a big circle with a little circle inside it, like a bullseye. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. You could draw on your paper, if you want to, a big circle with a littler circle inside it, a pair of concentric circles. And label the outside larger circle God's secret will. And label the inside circle, make, label the inside circle the revealed will of God. So the outside circle is the will of God's sovereign decree. The inside circle is God's moral command. Okay? Now here's what I want you to get. If you understand those circles as the big circle is the sovereign will of God, the inner circle is, 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 the, is the revealed will of God. When things occur, no matter what thing it is, right, no matter where it is in the universe, if it occurs at all, it always occurs inside the will, the secret will of God, God's sovereign decree. But not everything that happens in the universe will happen within that inner circle, the secret or the revealed will of God, the will of God's moral command. Does that make some sense to you? Confused with me? Talk to me. Tell me where we are, guys. Feel good? It'll, it'll get better. Here's a good way to see these concepts at work. Here's a question for you. Does God ever will that man sin? What did I hear? Okay, you're wrong, but we love you. <laughs> Wait a minute, Travis, that can't be true. You should have asked me, which will? Does the sovereign will of God, the secret will of God, allow for sin? Or does sin thwart the sovereignty of God? What do you think? Talk to me. Yes? Does sin thwart the sovereignty of God? Let me give you a couple of verses. Don't feel picked on, by the way. That was a trick question almost. Now, by definition, sin is to go against God's revealed will, though, isn't it? But there are things that the Bible makes clear were sinful things that God decreed or willed that they would take place. Acts chapter 2, verse 23, quote, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Or Acts 4, 27 and 28 says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever, listen to this, to do whatever your plan, your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. In those verses, we learn a couple of things. Lawless men crucified Jesus. Is that true? Okay. They sinned against God by condemning an innocent person, right? 
Would you agree that that was sin? They, they put a just man to death unjustly. That is sin. Even worse, they did that to the Son of God. How big a sin is that? That's a big old sin, right? But we see in chapter 4 that the apostles say to us that this, this sinful act was what God had predestined take place. So get this, get this. The evil men in Jerusalem violated God's revealed moral will by condemning the innocent. That's a violation of the commands of God. But they fulfilled God's secret sovereign will, his sovereign plan for the sacrifice of the Son of God to bring about our salvation. The men were responsible for their sin. God was sovereignly accomplishing his will. Are you with me or are you feeling confused now? What do you think? Making sense? A little bit? Okay. God has made it plain that we are to know and to do his will and that is vital. And here's the question, which will of God am I supposed to do? What will of God am I responsible to seek? This is a significant question, and I'm going to have you turn to Deuteronomy 29, 29 in your Bibles, because this is a really important verse for you to think about when you discuss how do I know and how do I do the will of God. Deuteronomy 29, 29. And by the way, this verse will tell you why I chose the label secret will and revealed will of God. Because I really was about to say will of decree and will of command, but secret and, secret and revealed work here. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. The secret things belong to God. God has a secret will that he has decreed. Now, to whom did God make this decree? He decreed it to himself. Among the persons of the Trinity, this will of God has been decreed. This plan of God has been secretly declared. And that plan of God is God's to know, and it is not any of our responsibility. So, for example, you and I do not know what God has decreed will occur tomorrow, do we? In fact, you don't know a lot about the future. We don't know the date when the Lord Jesus will physically return to this earth. And, in fact, God has no interest in you seeking to find that out. But the revealed will of God is for us and it's for our families. God's revealed will is that we might do all the words of, quote, this law, his holy word. The will that you and I are supposed to know, the will that you and I are supposed to follow according to the Bible, is the will that God has revealed. Now, again, because God is overall. Because God does all that God pleases. Because the universe is God's. We can know this. Every single thing that takes place in the universe takes place from within that larger circle, the will of God's sovereign decree. Everything that takes place takes place from within the, the secret will of God's sovereign decree. How do you know that? Because if things could occur outside of God's decree, then we would have no alternative than to believe that things happen against the decree of God, which would be to make God less than almighty, less than sovereign, less than God. Does anything happen that God's going, oh my goodness, I wish I could have stopped that? Does your God do that? Because the God of the Bible doesn't have that happen. Does God guide us by his sovereign decree? Sure he does. God uses his secret will to put us right where he wants us to be. How do I know? 
Acts 17, 26, Paul says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live in, on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God, God has you here now by his will. How cool is that to know, by the way? If you're, if you're watching us online right now, it was the sovereign will of God that you be doing so. If you're here in this room, how many people are here in this room? <laughs> I just wanted to see if they were awake, actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. If you're here, it is the sovereign will of the God of the universe that you be here. Is that not cool? Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, and by the way, you tell me if this gives you any comfort. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Is that comforting to you? God can move even politicians, amen? Psalm 115, verse 3, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. So listen to me again. When you think of your circles, the big outer circle, the secret will of God, no single thing ever happens outside of God's secret will. But it is not your job to try to look forward to find that secret will. How do you find out what God's secret will is? The answer is it happened. We can look back and we can see how God brought about things for God's own purposes. And the things that God brings about by his sovereign secret will includes things under his sovereignty they may be good things, they may be bad things, they're ultimately going to be to the good and they will never stain God with guilt or sin because God is, after all, holy. Guys, I know it's hard to imagine because there's some ugly things. And some of you have been through some ugly things. And I'm not saying God forced anyone to do ugly things. But what I am saying is whatever has happened, good or bad, whatever brings you to the point that you are right now is part of the ultimate sovereign will of the Almighty. And to deny that would be to say this was something God wished he could have stopped but couldn't. And that we cannot tolerate biblically. You with me? All right. Now, this all might have seemed a little philosophical to you and in fact frustrating to you. And if it is, I'd love to talk to you afterwards, see if I can help. But this is going to be very important. You see, it's vital that when you think about wanting to know the will of God, you're not seeking after the will of God that God doesn't care that you know. He doesn't tell you to know. He doesn't want you to know. The secret will of God is not yours to know. How comforting is it that you don't have to know what God is sovereignly going to do in three years? You cool with that? All right, but then there's this verse, Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10, which again, kind of like our original verse says, so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So there is a part of the will of God that we want to and need to and in fact are required to know. There was a will of God that Paul prayed for the Colossians that they would understand. And that will of God is the will of God that has to do with God, what God wants you to do even though he will not force it to take place. God wants us to know and to obey, not the secret will, because that's going to happen anyway. He wants you to know and obey the revealed will of God. Are you still with me? I'm just checking check to make sure we're okay. All right. This leads to our third question. This is the most important one so far. How do we know God's revealed will? Isn't that what you want to know? How do I know the will of God so I can do it? Again, we can agree that God's sovereign, unchangeable decree is not ours to know. 
But we want to know what God commands us to do. We want to know if a choice that we would make would please the Lord or be in sin against the Lord. And how does God speak to us? Because the answer of how God speaks to us is vital for the Christian who wants to know and do the will of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 read like this. Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So long ago, now the author of the Hebrews is writing that around 65, give or take, 66, 67. He says a long time before that, so time before Jesus, the Lord spoke to his people in a variety of ways. And that's true if you've read your Old Testament, right? Didn't God speak to them in a lot of ways? The scripture was not finished being written. Prophets came, they brought messages for the people. Angelic messengers would show up and speak to people from time to time. Some people in the Old Testament even had conversations with the pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus, before Jesus came to earth as a man. But once Jesus came, the author of Hebrews tells us that God spoke with a level of finality through his son. Jesus and Jesus' ministry has changed the way that God communicates to mankind. Now, obviously, while Jesus walked the earth, every word Jesus spoke to his disciples was God speaking to people. But what happened when Jesus rose from the grave? What happened when Jesus ascended to heaven? Well, God sent the Holy Spirit to earth. And the Spirit of God has the job of indwelling every believer as a seal and a promise of our eternal salvation. And the Spirit comforts us. And the Spirit convicts us. But we do not see a command in the New Testament that we look to the Spirit to give us a new word from God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the same letter to the Hebrews that said God spoke this way in the past and in a new way in the present, says that the word of God reaches into your heart, reveals to you who you are, reveals to you what you need to know. And the author of Hebrews there, friends, is pointing us to the scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the Apostle Paul says to you and to me, Christians, that we now have in writing the very breathed out word of God. And the written down, breathed out word of God, the Holy Scripture, that is what we need so that we can be taught by God so that we can live to please him. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So Peter says to us, God has now given us everything we need to live a godly life. Well, what's Peter pointing to? What has God given us that will help us live a godly life? Same chapter, chapter Second Peter, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, Peter says, And we have the prophetic word, that's the scriptures, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter says, we have sure confidence in the most solid communication from God. We have total confidence 
in the word of God. The sure knowledge that we have is the Bible. So Christians, we believe that the Bible is the holy word of God. It is God speaking with finality. Yes, in the past, God spoke to people in a variety of ways. Today, God speaks to his people perfectly through the Bible. We know God has a will. In fact, we know that the Bible speaks of the two kinds of the will of God. We called them his secret will and his revealed will. We know that his secret will, his sovereign, unchangeable plan, is none of our business. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. And we know that we are to know his revealed will. We find God's revealed will, his instructions for how to live and how to honor him in his perfectly inspired word, which is the Bible. So if you wish to know the will of God, if you wish to know the will you're supposed to know, if you wish to know the will of God you're supposed to do, you find it written down in the scripture. That's really important, Christian. So the fourth question, are there other ways to learn God's will? God has perfectly given us his revealed will in the Bible, yes? You with me? But what about when we want to make a decision that's not clearly covered in the Bible? Doesn't that frustrate you when that happens? What about when we have two options before us that are equally good and equally biblical? What then? Is there a third kind of will of God that I could miss? Is there a circle that goes within the smaller circle, like a third circle, right? Is there an individual will of God for me that I could miss even though I'm obeying every command of God in his word? Another way to ask the question is this, will God speak to me to reveal his will in a way that is outside of his word? Do you want to know what my answer is to that? No. The simple answer I have for you is no. The Bible never points to you to tell you to seek a third level of God's will that is his individual will for you that you could sin against God even while living completely within the commands of God. God spoke perfectly and completely in his word. God spoke with finality in his word. And every believer in Christ has the Holy Spirit of God living within him or her to help us to read, to study, to rightly apply God's word so that we can obey his commands. But wait, says the one who wishes to argue. What about when God specifically didn't let Paul go to Macedonia? What about the leading of the Spirit, pastor, you unspiritual man, you? First, be really careful not to apply to yourself the unique leading that God gave prophets and apostles before the canon of Scripture was completed. God was speaking and leading differently at that time because the Word of God had not been finished. Secondly, Be really careful not to develop for yourself a doctrine that has God revealing his will to people, but he does it so imperfectly that they're often still left wondering exactly what did God say. Do you guys believe God incapable to reveal his will with clarity? But isn't it true that those who are looking for a third inner will are always just stressed out, going, I I just don't know if this is what God's telling me or not. God speaks clearer than that. And do not create for yourself or for other people restrictions on Christian freedom that God did not give us. Let me ask you this question. In what area of your life do you need to hear an extra biblical voice from God to know what God wants you to do? 
Let me ask it a different way. How many of you remember a time in our history when you would go to the store? (laughs) When you were in that epoch of ancient history, did you used to stand in the aisle praying and silently, silently waiting the Lord to reveal to you whether you ought buy white or wheat bread? Did you do that? Some of you are going, no, we're gluten-free. I know that, not you people, the others. How about when you decide to drive to work or drive here this afternoon? What if, what if there are two routes equally short? When you get in the car, do you pray about it? Or do you just check the traffic with your iPhone and pick one? Honestly, you unspiritual heathens, most of you just go, don't you? I'm sorry, I'm not really trying to make fun. If you develop a doctrine that says there's a third will, a personal will of God that you could miss even though you're obeying the commands of God, you will paralyze yourself as a Christian. You will never know when a decision that you need to make is big or when it's little. You will never know whether, what if, I've, what if I've already missed the one opportunity? What if I didn't take the one fork in the road that would have given me happiness in the Lord, but I blew it when I was in college, and so from now for the rest of my life, I'm outside of the will of God, even though I'm inside his commands. And see, that may seem almost funny to some of you, but there are people who live like this. And I'm telling you, and I pray it frees you, that is not what the Word of God says for Christians to do. God does not command us to live that way. God told us in His Word what He wants. We are responsible. When we make a decision, what are we supposed to do? We are to see to it that we are submitted to the commands of God is what I'm doing inside God's revealed will. Because if it's in there, I'm fine. What are the things God has revealed? I'll tell you one thing. God has commanded that you be saved. Please, dear friend, whoever you are, don't ask me what the will of God is for your life if you haven't come to Jesus for salvation yet. Because I will tell you the answer for what is God's will for your life is that you come to Jesus and be saved. Right? Once you're saved, what's God's will for you? Well, first of all, the moment you get saved, one of your eager desires ought to be to be baptized. I want to follow the command of Jesus to profess my faith by being baptized and being united with a local church. It is God's will that you be connected to a local church after being baptized. It is God's will that you battle immorality. John MacArthur, he wrote a little book called Found God's Will, and I think it's really, really cool. A very, very helpful, short little book. And he said, you know what? It's ridiculous for a person who's committing sexual immorality on a regular basis to say, oh, Lord, I just wish I knew what your will was for my life. The answer is repent like I told you to. The will of God is that you share your faith, Christians. Talk to people about Jesus. The will of God is that you love God. The will of God is that you love your neighbor as yourself. The will of God is that you submit to the authorities who are over you so long as the authorities over you do not command you to disobey God and other stuff like that. But then what? By the way, so far for some of you guys, this is the most disappointing sermon on the will of God I've ever heard. What if you're obeying every command of Scripture that you can think of? What if your decision is biblical, whether you choose option A or option B? How do I know what to do then? Isn't that the question most of you want to know the answer to? If you're asking, which decision can I make that will make my life the easiest it can possibly be? Listen to me. That's not yours to know. That is you asking about the future. The future is the secret will of God, and God says that is his to know, not yours. I cannot help you there. But if you're asking, how do I pick between option A, biblical option, and option B, biblical option, when I really don't know and I feel paralyzed? Maybe this will help you. Psalm 37, verse 4. Write this one down. 
This is as important as the Deuteronomy 29, 29. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight in God. What do you mean? Love God a lot. Love God's word a lot. Pray. Worship in accord with the commands of God. Battle against sin. Set your heart on God. Set your desire for God's glory. Obey the word of God. Be filled with the Spirit. We'll talk about that next week. What else might you do? Listen to the wise counsel of good, sharp believers. They can help you maybe apply the word of God in ways you haven't seen. It's commanded that you submit to the godly leaders that are over you. Submit to your leaders. Submit to the leaders in the church so long as we don't counsel you to violate scripture. It is never biblical to violate your conscience and to willfully do a thing that a biblically informed heart tells you is wrong. So if you're, if you're praying about option A and option B and you feel real yucky about option B and you feel great about option A, don't dive after option B, right? Because if you're saying, I think it's wrong, but I'm doing it anyway, you're in sin. Even if it's not wrong, you're in sin. But at the end of the day, if you're delighting in God, if you're focused first and foremost on God's glory, the desire of your heart is going to be within the will of God. Because loving God, you will only want things that are inside His revealed will in obedience to Scripture. And you will then be able to be sure that you are, get this here, here's a word you want, Christian. At that point, you are free to choose whichever thing you want. The more you love God, the more you obey God's word, the more you pray and worship, the more his Holy Spirit will start matching your heart and your desires to the will of God. The opening text said, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And that command is not that you should learn the mysteries of God that he will not reveal. Neither is that command for you to seek a revelation from God outside of the scriptures. Instead, the command is that you love God by loving his word. It's that you surrender to the spirit of God by surrendering to God's word. It is that you live in fellowship with Christians as you unite together under the word of God. It is that you obey God by obeying God's word. And the beautiful thing is, if you are obeying the word of God with your heart, you are free. You don't need to paralyze yourself by seeking a will of God that's out there somewhere, not revealed to you clearly, but you just need to be a little bit more spiritual and you'll get it. No, as you delight in the Lord, the Lord shapes your heart so that you will desire the things that God desires and God then will give you the desires of your heart. If you're loving God with your whole heart, if you're surrendering to, the, to God's leadership and his word, you are free to do what you want, to make a decision and to know that you are within the will of God. Well, how does that tell you which house to buy? It doesn't. What do you do? You pray? You trust God? You get all the wise counsel you can get? You check your finances against what the house costs because it's biblical to be a good steward, right? And then you know what you do? You pick the house that's closest to mine so you can come visit me more often. That's what you do. Some of you people live on the wrong side of town and you know it. How do, you, how do you choose? Oh, God. White or wheat bread? Oh, which one do you like better? Which one's healthier for you? The answer is a tortilla. How do you choose? Dog or cat? That's obvious. Cats are from the devil. Uh, oh, look at that. True story. I was talking with a friend the other day. We were talking about, someone asked, will dogs and cats, you know, will, will our pets be in heaven? And, and we were talking about, do they have eternal souls and all that good stuff? And we were talking about, we think that there will be dogs in heaven. And his, my friend asked about cats. And, and before I even got to answer, my friend said, well, cats are going to live eternally too. It's just in the other place. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> all you cat lovers are groaning. I love it. It's okay. 
You can love your cats. I don't understand it, but it's, it's, you're free. You're free within the will of God to love those little beasties, right? Maybe there's some other desire that you have that will help you pick. You need to love God more and let God help you see what will help you love him more. But you're free. Which brand of car should you buy? Pray, think well, and pick the one you want that fits your finances. That's how to do the will of God. Let me just say one more thing before we wrap up. If you're not a believer, if you've never run to Jesus for salvation, I can tell you exactly what the command of God is for you. There's no mystery here. And by the way, if you're not a believer, you're not free. You have one command of God that you are obligated to obey. The Bible says that the Lord has called all men everywhere to repent. God's will for you, God's revealed will, God's will of command is that you turn away from your sin, turn from being the leader of your own life, surrender to Jesus in faith, and be saved. You need God's forgiveness and you can only be forgiven if you turn from sin and put your trust in Jesus as your Savior. And I invite you to find your life in Jesus Christ so you can walk in the will of God. And once you have life in Christ, love the Lord and love his word and delight in his word and you will be free to honor God by doing what you want. And that will be you doing the will of God. Let's pray together. Father, again, we say thank you. Um, there's so much here that we could talk about more and more and more. There's so many things that we need you to help us to understand. And the fact is, Lord, this doesn't necessarily make life super easy. Because we hear in your word our deep responsibility to learn and obey your word. I pray that for the Christians here, you will give us such a deep love for you and your glory, such a deep, super heart for you, that we will do your will because we love your word and we love you. I pray for the Christians who have been paralyzed by seeking a mysterious third will, that they will be freed to love you and live within the bounds of your commands. I pray for those who are struggling that you will have mercy. I pray you take away anything that I've said that's not clear here. I, I always struggle with a, a topic this heavy not to, not to miss it. But I pray that you'll teach us, grow us, and be glorified in us. We pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.